Welcome back to the Buzz Pod. I'm your host, Nico Blatchman. And today we are switching it up a little bit. Um, we had our first ever retired player come on the pod um, in Jeff Flavecchio uh, two episodes ago. And now we're mixing it up even more with probably our or definitely our most educational episode coming right now. Joining us today is someone I've learned a ton from and I know everyone tuning in will as well. He has a degree in exercise physiology a minor in psychology and a master's uh, degree student for exercise physiology and nutrition. Uh, holy fuck, that's a lot. If we're talking, <laughs> uh, this guy's up there on my list of best brains for sure. Andres, <laughs> welcome to the pod. Hey man, what an honor to be here, bro. Man, and I think you should you should include that, dude. We've known each other like a whole lives almost. Yeah, absolutely. I'm gonna talk about that right now. So um, I actually grew up with Andres. We went to the same. Um, elementary school and middle school, pretty much nine years together. Um, and and, and look, look what he turned out to be, just an absolute genius. So I'm lucky enough to grow up with guys like this. And, um, you know, he's coming on my, on my hockey podcast and he's going to bring now a lot of information for everyone tuning in that will benefit you guys, all hockey players and stuff, um, with some life hacks and just some, some stuff that you can incorporate into your life and, and game day. Backed routine. by science. Exactly. Backed by science, baby. So um, this is all facts right here by Andres Special. So <laughs> oh, what's, what's cool, man, is, is we totally did different things. We took different routes with our lives, but we kind of, it, it kind of goes full circle. Like you went in the direction of, you know, you're being an athlete and now I'm studying what it takes to be an athlete from, from the, I guess the, you know, the biology and the, the physiology of being an athlete, psychology of being an athlete. So now we can kind of you know, we took these separate paths, but now we kind of come together and make something great, which is really, really cool. Yeah, absolutely. And for those who don't know, I have a fitness page, uh, Nico Blashman Fitness, and Andres is on Instagram, Andres Preschel, and he's actually been helping me create a program now that I'm creating for, for hockey players, um, you know, using kind of science pretty much, backed by science and getting away from the old traditional um, lifting and, and stuff that, that us hockey players have been doing pretty much forever. Um, so the first thing I want to get into with you, Andres, is, is pretty much life hacks because I follow you on Instagram and, and you're very active and very informational. And I see that you got, you have a lot of life hacks. And when I say life hacks, I mean stuff like, you know, you know, um, when to sleep, how to sleep, how much sleep to get, you know, how to eat, when to eat, how much to eat, um, all these things. And even uh, some more specific ones, like I see you taping your mouth sometimes to only breathe through your nose, um, you know, can you elaborate on some of these life hacks? And like, when I see things like this, that can just better yourself that people don't know about, it's just like, man, how is this stuff not more out there? Yeah. And, and the reason why I think it's not more out there is because people are so stuck on their traditional ways and, and, and their habits that they've had their whole lives that they're not down to incorporate this new modern technology right. um, that's, that could really benefit them. Right. Yeah. So one big thing for me is I'm a, I'm a big believer in that 
the science of human performance, disease prevention, and longevity should be as accessible as possible. So it should be as easy as possible to get access to the information, but also to understand it. Because I feel like the, you know, the majority of the scientific research, you know, there's new research coming out every single day uh, that you can apply to better your life. But it's, you know, it's sort of limited to that scientific community because it's all like research-based. It's, so, it's so scientific that right. the majority of people can't benefit from it. But the reality is that it's out there for you to take and better yourself. So what I like to do is I like to take that very complicated scientific research and I like to accommodate it for the average person. And so there are a lot, a lot of like little hacks. But when I say hacks, you know, I'm really all about understanding the physiology, having a better understanding of your physiology so, you make, so that you can make more uh, independent, healthy decisions. You, you, you are in charge of what's going on in your body. But um, the word hacks, like to me, it's a great word and it's, and it's sexy and it's appealing to people. But I just want to go ahead and say that I like having like a little bit, even a little bit of a, of a, of a like, let's say a genuine understanding of even basic concepts regarding physiology. Right. Um, so yeah, we can get into some of the hacks. Um, I do well, a lot. Of- first, the first one I want to talk about is, is uh, the taping of the mouth because I've actually yeah, yeah, sure. asked you that question and I've been waiting for this podcast. So I see you. Um, you know, taping your mouth. And you know what? You're not the only one. I've seen actually the retired player that came on the podcast that's, uh, he, he runs his own gym and stuff. You know, he does that while dry. I saw him do it while driving one time. Uh, so I just want to know like wh- when to do that and why. Yeah, you so, so I'll tell you first, I'll give you the, the why I do it. Um, so here's the thing. When you breathe through your nose, like breathing is, is I think it's, it's just so overlooked, you know, it's such a basic function that people are like, ah, like, what I can change my, I can modify my breathing and it has an effect on my body. And the reality is that it absolutely does because, you know, and I'll even, I'll even mention, for example, my mom is a dentist and it even goes as far as like adjusting your teeth and how you chew. And I'll get to that. But first I want to go ahead and say that when you breathe through your nose, you can essentially breathe more efficiently because not only do you uh, better humidify air, but you also can better filter air. And, and those are the two main sort of, uh, things that, you know, when you can breathe more efficiently, um, when you can inhale air and it's more, and it's better humidified, for example, you can take away more oxygen to make a very complicated physiological concept, you know, a little easier to, to digest. When you breathe through your nose, you can breathe more efficiently. Obviously, you know, when you do some, some types of activity, when you do really high intensity activity, breathing through your mouth is quicker, it's faster and whatnot. But if you spend the majority of your day breathing through your nose, it's healthier it actually helps you your teeth align better you have less issues with with uh you know it also limits like things like bad breath um uh it's very very healthy for all kinds of enzymes and saliva and and producing saliva and keeping your mouth uh you know salivated um but beyond that another reason why i do it and the main reason the two main reasons why i do this besides breathing more efficiently are because when you breathe through your nose you tend to have better um uh, vagal, uh, activity. So activity in the vagus nerve, uh, the vagus nerve is a nerve that runs down from your brain all the way down through your body, through the majority of your body. And it's very closely associated with what's called the parasympathetic nervous system. So the central nervous system is your brain and spinal cord, right? And there's something called the autonomic nervous system, which is basically regulates automatic processes in your body through your nerves. And the autonomic nervous system is composed of the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. I know this is getting a little scientific, but basically, Hey, if I'm keeping up, everybody should be keeping up. (laughs) 
basically you could think about it. I'm sure you've heard of like the fight or flight um, response, yeah. right? Yeah. So that's, that's the sympathetic nervous system. So that basically gets you prepared to fight or flight. So like run away from a stressor. So a, a perceived stressor and you know, we perceive stressors. It's completely subjective. Like for example, you preparing for a hockey game might be as stressful for you as it is for me to prepare for an exam or to give a lecture, right? How we perceive it, like that, that response doesn't discriminate. It basically innervates the sympathetic nervous system. And then it's up to the parasympathetic nervous system to try to help us like cope with that stressor or else it's too stressful for our physiology and it gives us all kinds of problems. So when you breathe through your nose, you activate what's called, uh, you tend to breathe also more diaphragmatically, meaning with your stomach, with the diaphragm. Um, and that increases the activity of the vagus nerve, which means you have more parasympathetic activity, which means that you can better relax. So what's cool about it is nasal breathing essentially helps you stay more relaxed when you need to be relaxed. So like people ask me all the time, like Andres, you're, it seems like you're so busy all the time. You're always running around. You have different projects. You have different presentations. You're making content. You're doing all these things. Like how do you like, do you meditate? The truth is I do meditate. You know, I have... I'll wake up in the morning. It's part of my morning routine. I'll, maybe some mornings I'll meditate, but I'm, the thing is I can get away with, this is sort of like a life hack for me, like breathing through my nose. Naturally, I don't even have to tape my mouth anymore. I, can, I just naturally breathe through my nose, but it allows me to be in this sort of like relaxed state all the time. Wow. Now, now what's important though, is you also want to have like vagal tone goes both ways. You want to be able to innervate that parasympathetic rest and digest branch of the central nervous system efficiently, but you, when, when there's a stressor and you need to be active, you also want to be able to activate that like sympathetic activity as well. Like basically you want to be able to switch between them uh, quickly. And this is a concept that you can actually measure. It's something that you can actually measure with what's called heart rate variability, which is something that I discuss in other podcasts with other people, which is something that, you know, your listeners can tune into some other time, but right. basically to make a long story short, I do nasal breathing so that I can better innervate this like relaxation response when I need it. Um, right. And something that people can do is taping their mouths when they sleep because that guarantees nasal breathing while they sleep and it guarantees a more relaxed state. So you, it can help you achieve better sleep essentially. And that's why I do it. So something I want to get into with you is, is, is basically how to make the most of your sleep. And something else that I want to discuss is, I know that you recently got your raw optics, the blue light blocking glasses. Uh, there are these, you know, for people tuning in, it's like these red, orange tinted glasses that look kind of funny and you wear them a few hours before bed. Cool. I'd say. Yeah. They're, I think they're fucking awesome. I love wearing yeah. mine. Yeah. And, and what's cool is that they actually, um, going on a tangent here, but they block out the blue wavelengths of light. Um, not necessarily like blue, like obviously, you know, if you look at a blue light while you're wearing these glasses, it looks completely gray. Um, but the thing is that even in, in any LED light, you have this spectrum of light. And in that spectrum is, are these blue wavelengths. And those are the, the wavelengths that are most responsible for um, inhibiting the production of melatonin. So when these blue wavelengths that you can find in any light source, essentially, or most light sources. Really when you open your eyes. Yeah. So when they interact with the back of your eye, the retina, they tell your brain, hey, it's go time. It's time to, it's time to, it's time to innervate the sympathetic nervous system. It's time to inhibit melatonin production. Like it's daytime. We need to go because throughout evolution, the only source of blue light that we had was the sun. The sun is the most potent source of blue light. So we knew that when we woke up, you know, we're inhibiting the production of melatonin. 
and we're ready to go, ready to start the day. It's daytime, it's go time. Now we have all these devices, all these lights late at night, and our body is constantly in this state where it thinks it's time to go, it's time to start the day, and that takes away from our sleep. So those are two little hacks right there. I wear my raw optics, and I can give you guys a discount code. Just use code HOLYFIT, 10% off. Um, but I, I just want to go ahead and say that, you know, I truly believe, like, I, it's not that, that I'm associated or affiliated with them and I'm just throwing out codes. Like, this is genuinely something that you can do that will have a profound impact on your quality of life because it's an investment in your sleep. Right. Rico can tell you from his experience. I can tell you from my experience. I can tell you the physiology behind it. Um, yeah, definitely. So, oh, I just want to touch on that real quick is that, like, ever since I got mine, like, first of all, I love it. I wear them at night. And, um, you know, sometimes a I few forget. hours before sleep, right? Right, right. Exactly. When the sun goes down, that's when I toss them on. At per- that's exactly when you should be doing it. Right, right. I think you're the one that told me that, actually. So um, basically, like, for those who don't know, and I actually asked Andres, you know, like, should I get the day blue light blockers? And he said no. And th- the reason for not using the, the blue light blockers during the day is because during the day you are on go mode and you want to yeah. be on go mode. And exactly. You want that melatonin activated, right? Yeah. Um, so, but you, so- want, you, want it, you want it to be inhibited and activated at night. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I mixed that up. But so basically like during the day you want that blue light, you want to be in go mode, but at night, you know, you want to be on your phone, you want to watch TV, but you want to start to wind down and you want exactly. your brain to know that it's time to wind down. And what those glasses do is they let your brain know that it's time to wind down. You're not taking yeah. any more blue light. Exactly. Exactly. And so what that helps you do with time is that when you're able to wake up and get that blue light in the morning and then you prepare yourself for bed every night with, you know, by limiting blue light or blocking blue light, um, it helps you set up a healthy circadian rhythm. So the circadian rhythm is literally a biological clock that tells your body, not just when it's daytime and nighttime, but it literally is involved in so many, essentially every process in your body, whether it's directly or indirectly. And it just prepares your body for a consistent way to, you know, it's a consistent system. Um, that helps regulate all kinds of bodily processes. Uh, so you want to, you know, that's why it's important to go to bed and wake up around the same time every day. So you can have a healthy circadian rhythm because it's a great foundation for all other healthy habits, mood, you know, uh, performance, etc. Um, now something else I wanted to say, just to go back to the nasal breathing, when you're nasal breathing, it also forces you to breathe a little more slowly and, and I know that we're going to eventually get into, you know, how to prepare your mindset for like a, like a game or, or whatnot. Uh, no, no, actually go into this. I wanted to ask when. You want to transition into it? I want to, I want to ask when is the best time, especially you just mentioned uh, a great time to do nasal breathing is when you're sleeping and when yeah. you just wake up. But for an athlete, you know, like you mentioned, would it be smart to do nasal breathing um, on game day, like the whole day um, leading up to the game and even in the locker room and then right before warm-ups? You yeah, start them out so I'll give you some little, some little hacks, a combination of hacks that you can do. Um, I know that the majority of athletes um, and high-performance, you know, people is – they tend to get anxious, you know, before a game, like it's, it's stressful, you know, it's everything that you've, you've, you've dedicated your life. Like I've seen you, for example, you dedicated your life to the sport. And I'm sure that every time you get into a game, it means a lot to you, you know, and you can be stressed, you can be anxious. So there are things that you can do to lower that sympathetic response so that you can make the most of your performance and be focused. Um, you know, lower your heart rate, heart rate, lower your cortisol and just get, 
just to be able to have just enough to, to, to perform because there's this concept in physiology, I forget the exact name, but for optimal performance, you want to be right between a very like uh, aware state, like a very stressed and focused state and like a more relaxed state. You want to be like right in the middle to have a smooth, nice focus, right? And so I feel that for a lot of players, they're very overwhelmed, very stressed, and they can implement the following strategy. So number one, nasal breathing. Automatically, you're going to slow your breath. You're going to uh, build up more CO2 in your lungs, I believe, which is going to help your lungs relax and slow the breath even more. It's going to lower cortisol and adrenaline. Um, you know, innervate the vagus nerve and have, you know, better sympathetic activity, more release of GABA in the brain and, and well, in, in, in the periphery of the nervous system. Um, and it's going to help relax you. So nasal breathing, but also diaphragmatic breathing and box breathing. So you can do a combination of the three. So breathing exercise, for example, is you breathe through your nose, you put one hand on your belly and like your thumb on your belly button, just so that you can feel your stomach expanding and contracting with each breath. Meaning you have to, because most people are very used to breathing with like their chest, you know, uh, like the top of their lungs or whatever. Uh, you want to breathe with your belly to innervate that, 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 that uh, vagus nerve. So your belly breathing through your nose and then you implement box breathing. So you do like, there's a few different ways you can do box breathing, but it's like one way is you do a, a four second inhale, hold for four seconds, four second exhale, and then hold that for four seconds and then repeat that. And do it a few times. Maybe do it for like a couple minutes. Okay. And the three of those, dude, if, if there's a learning curve to it, no doubt. But bro, that is like such a good way to relax immediately. And it's actually such, I actually did a post about this on Instagram. Yes, I was reading that one today. Yeah, bro. It's so it's, that's the thing. It's so often overlooked. Like breath is so automatic and so like, it's just so, it's so casual that people don't take it seriously, but it can have a huge very profound effect on your physiology. So this is actually such a powerful strategy. And as I mentioned in that post, that Navy SEALs use this all the time. Doctors, lawyers, nurses, like high stress individuals and athletes, other elite athletes, they implement these strategies. A lot of them will do box breathing, nasal breathing, and diaphragmatic breathing. So when's the best time to do these? Because so, um, I've, I've actually ran you through and I'm going to run, run, run you through it again. Like yeah. a typical hockey game day is like, you know, we wake up in the morning, we have our pregame um, skate, uh, our, our, our warm up and skate. And then, yeah. you know, we um, get a little food in us and we take a nap. Usually some guys nap, right. some guys just chill for that three hour window. And then we have our pregame meal. And then we go to the rink and start to prepare with so it. Here, so here's what, I, here's what I would do. I would, I would make sure that like the day before or really most importantly, the day of just try to breathe through your nose as much as possible. So like you can do the mouth taping and whatnot. Um, but I would just try to breathe through your nose to be as relaxed as possible. That's the easiest thing to do. Like you, I'm sure that you can go about your morning just breathing through your nose. Right. Um, so do that. Once you, so I always like to implement these strategies like when I anticipate stress. So the closer I get to like a presentation or a lecture or a podcast, whatever it is, the more I'll maybe like start, like I know my body will be in a more like sympathetic state and a more stressed state. So I'll start to maybe implement some box breathing, some diaphragmatic breathing. Uh, I basically try to anticipate it and try to implement those strategies early. So I guess the closer you are to the game, the more seriously you can take these breathing techniques. But nasal breathing should be like, you know, something that you're always doing and not just for performance just throughout your life. I think nasal breathing is always going to be the healthiest way to breathe. And there's a lot of research that backs, backs that up. 
That's um, awesome. And it also helps you, you know, you want to have good breath for the, for, for the ladies or for the dudes if you're into that. But you yeah. want to have good breath for everybody, you know. Absolutely. So it helps you also have a uh, avoid. It helps limit like chronic bad breath. Okay, and that's awesome stuff, dude. I'm definitely going to start implementing that to my game day. I know a lot of guys are going to start implementing that to their game day, so that is fucking awesome, bro. And um, another thing I want to get into that I will definitely start implementing in my game day, um, it's one of those things that, like, I did implement in my game day at times, and then one of those things that, like, it's a good habit that I unconsciously got away from, um, and that's visualization. And um, That's huge. And yeah, so um, visualization, I mean, I know a lot of guys, everyone that's watching or almost everyone that's listening um, is a hockey player and might be familiar with 24-7. So for those um, listening that aren't, um, 24-7 is this thing that the NHL does um, for the Winter Classic, which is like this NHL tournament kind of. And um, they basically show a player um, and they show his 24-7. They show his lifestyle um, and everything. And one of them, I forgot who, I think it was Brendan Gallagher. They showed him on the bench and he was legit with his stick looking at the ice, empty ice sheet, and just, you know, moving the stick and, and visualizing. And since then I actually started to implement it a little bit. And, and like I just mentioned, I got away from it. I don't know why. Um, but that's something that I really want to get into because I know visualization is backed by science. And I just want to hear your thoughts on visualization and how that can help you, um, help your performance. Dude, it is huge. Like it's like it's if you can do it well enough, it's almost like an unfair strategy because it allows you to practice without practicing. And I'll just tell you that I've taken dude numerous classes in neuroscience, in psychology, in uh, psychology of exercise, and sports psychology, and all kinds of classes. And this is one of the themes that is just it's 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 a constant theme. It's like when you can visualize these actions, these behaviors, these, uh, uh, routines, they basically, if you can, if you can think about them so deeply and so specifically, and you can, the better you are at visualizing literally at dude, at the neuromuscular and neurochemical level, the better you can train your brain to handle these situations ideally when they actually happen. So like if you visualize as specifically as possible, the most specific details about like the getting, ice. Like for example, like, like this is one thing that I used to do. So in hockey, I'm a winger. So mm-hmm. a, lot, a very common breakout is getting the puck from the defenseman and then just automatically like there might be a guy on you. If there's a guy on you, you got to chip it off the wall or make a pass. If there's not a guy on you, you got to know that right away and go. Exactly. You know what I mean? So that's one of the things that I remember when I was visualizing, I would always visualize that play of getting the puck on that wall. And I would visualize it as a guy coming and I chip it. I would visualize it as a guy coming or not coming and I go. You right. know what I mean? And and can you talk a bit about how your brain thinks that's the Dude, same? Yeah, bro. It's actually it blows my mind. It's, it's so fascinating to me because it's so real. And again, it's one of these things that's just overlooked. I know that a lot of the guys that are tuning in, they take the sport seriously. Like they take this more seriously than anything else. Listen, for those guys that take this shit seriously, I'm sure a few, and I don't, I don't know if all of them are going to implement these strategies, but I'll just tell you this, that those that do and they do it right, they're going to take their game to a whole new level. I don't care where they are on the spectrum or how good they are. It's going to change their game. You want to think about it as specifically as possible. Like you want to think what muscles are you contracting? How are you moving? Who, what are you seeing? How does the ice feel under your feet? How does, you know, just not only feeling it, but seeing it and trying to imagine different situations 
And I, what I would do is I would spend as an athlete, I would try to spend, uh, you know, I'm not an athlete myself, but I'll get into some of the things that I do because, you know, I am athletic and I'll get into that and how I practice visualization. But I'll just go ahead and say that if you can take 30 minutes to an hour every day, closing your eyes, maybe you can wear your hockey gear. Maybe you can, you know, uh, hold you, or hold a stick, but the, the, just close your eyes and visualize exact situations and how you would respond. And if you can do it specifically enough, literally thinking about what muscles you would contract. If you can think about it specifically enough, your brain won't know the difference between that experience and a real experience. Like the way that your brain will think about it and interpret it and save that memory is as if it really happened. Yeah. So you can literally practice with your imagination. And this is something that's been proven by science, by studies. They've actually done studies. And this is, this goes way back. I was recently reading a book called psycho cybernetics and it's all about your self image and how to adjust your self-image and whatnot. And it talks about visualization, but this book was written in like the 1950s or 60s. And it's a classic book written by a plastic surgeon, um, very famous plastic surgeon. And dude, even then it talks about how they did studies where they took basketball players and they had people practice with actual ball shooting in, you know, shooting the ball. And then they had other people that were practicing just by visualizing 30 minutes a day, exactly how they would shoot this ball and make a you know, free throw or whatever. And then they did a test and they found that the people that were visualizing were just successful as the people that were actually practicing free throws. Now, wow. that study, now, all right. I know that sounds really like that, like too good to be true. That was one study. It wasn't a very huge sample size. You know, the statistical significance, which is something that we talk about in science, the statistical significance, maybe it wasn't the most statistically valid study, but it's one example. And since the sixties, you know, there's just been multitudes of studies that you can look up and see that visualization is a very real thing and it takes practice, but the more time you dedicate it to it and the better you, and, and the more, cause it's one thing to actually, you know, sit down and try and do it, but it's another thing to like really believe in it and put yourself in that situation and practice it like as specifically as possible. Dude, it makes a world of a difference. Again, practicing without practicing, bro. Well, for hockey, that's huge. Uh, first of all, uh, I'm going to start doing that all the time for sure. But for <laughs> hockey, that's huge because um, especially for me growing up in Miami, Florida, and I know a lot of guys, especially right now with the pandemic, are having a hard time getting ice. You know, hockey's not like soccer where you can just go outside, kick a soccer ball around, or you can go outside and shoot some hoops. You need to get you need you need ice. You need to get fully equipped. You know, you need to go out and, and it, it, it. That's, takes a, that's a good point because you were injured too. And and that's, that's actually, that, I'm glad that you brought that up because people can apply this when they're injured or when they're taking a break. Because the way that, so the way that practice works, when you practice any kind of movement, when you're practicing for a sport, for a certain position or a certain play, you're literally programming your body at the neuromuscular level. Um, there's different motor units, uh, different firing patterns. Like you're literally programming your body to react ideally to situations. Uh, that's what it takes to be an athlete. Like you're literally, you've spent years programming yourself to do specific things um and it's a matter of how well you can innovate and how well you can you can uh, uh basically get those connections to fire when you're actually in the game so you practice 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 establish these connections all right now how can you do this then in the game right and you know obviously there's different things involved in your performance during the game are you anxious how is your sleep how's your nutrition is there a lot of pressure and whatnot because it's very different that environment from like your training environment but one thing that you can do to preserve those firing patterns, those connections, those actions are literally by imagining them as specifically as possible. And I guarantee that someone who's injured 
or someone that's taking a break or someone that doesn't have access to a gym right now or a rink, I promise you, if you can visualize exactly what it is that you do, what it is that you want to improve, what it is that you want to maintain, if you visualize it, that is going to be an incredible form of practice. Wow. Unreal. Unreal. Yeah, dude, it's actually like I get excited I talking about it. I'm going to dedicate an hour or 30, <laughs> or 30 minutes tonight, dude. No, no, not even joking it's, right now. It's I'm pretty crazy stuff. That's awesome, dude. And uh, wow, that's awesome. So let's go, let's go into sleep. I mean, I mentioned, um, I told you before the pod, but you know, I, I sweat in my sleep and I don't yeah. know why, but then, um, you know, the, the temperature in my house is 74 and you mentioned that, uh, you know, that's way too hot for sleep. So way too hot. Into, so can you go into like, what's the right temperature for sleep? You know, yeah. what's the right amount of time for sleep? What's the, you know, all, all the right ways to sleep. Yeah. I love that. We're talking about all these things that are just so overlooked. And I know that like, you know, it's like, I do these things myself and I take it for granted sometimes. Like I get great sleep. I have great performance, all that stuff. But dude, it's just small things that you can do. So and you know what? I've been into uh, fitness and stuff uh, for a while now, kind of a uh, couple of years. Uh, I've been really into the off ice part of hockey and improving my game off the ice. And uh, these are little things that I just kind of started to really get into um, because- you take it for ways- granted sometimes. Like, oh my yeah. breathing, like my sleep. Yeah, because uh, these are ways- these are ways that you can improve that are so easy, so little, and you can do them at home in your yeah. room. Yeah. It's, so, it's almost unfair. <laughs> yeah. So let's get into sleep. So, man. Yeah. Yeah. So, so um, yeah, I'll start off with the temperature thing. So again, they've done a bunch of studies on sleep and whatnot, and they found that for the best sleep, generally you want to be between, you want to set the temperature to between 65 and 68. Now that's may seem very, very cold, right? Um, I personally do 68. And before I would sleep, you know, with temperature around 70 and I would just wear, you know, be in my boxers and that's it. It's my boxers and I go to sleep. Now what I'm doing is I'll set the temperature to 68 and I'll wear a shirt. I wear sweatpants and socks, right? To To sleep. Yeah. Because it's colder and sometimes I'll even go like 66, 67, but I'll wear this sleep because, uh, you want, essentially you want your core temperature. You want your, your, your core to be cool. That's, that's the goal. That's going to help you uh, get good sleep is you want to have a cool core. And one of the reasons why I wear socks, for example, for ex- it is an example is because, you know, your hands and feet are like fountains of heat. Like basically if your feet are cold, the rest of your body's going to be cold. If you're, if your hands are cold, you know, that's kind of how it works. But now if you wear socks, it basically gives, I forget exactly the mechanism, but all I know is that it's, it, it sort of, modifies how your body interprets uh, the heat at your feet. And then that can help you regulate your, your core temperature. So when you wear socks, it actually helps your feet stay warm, but it also keeps your core cold. Something like, I, I forget exactly how it is, but I found that ever since I started lowering the temperature and wearing socks, those two things have been, have had a dramatic impact on my sleep. Um, and That's you tough for me, cause I'm a naked sleeper. Yeah. I used to sleep naked too. And you know, I used to do that as well. Um, but dude, now I've been lowering the temperature and what it allows me to do is, is for example, if I get too hot at night, I can easily just take off a layer. I can take something off and I just feel better. Whereas like if I was, you know, too cold and then I had to like go and put something on, you know, you stand up from your bed, you, you know, your heart rate goes up, it's hard to fall back asleep. So I've been doing that. Um, and it definitely helps lowering the temperature definitely helps a hundred percent. Um, another thing is EMF. You just mentioned yeah, that yeah. I've been doing it for the past three days. I've been putting my phone on airplane mode. Yes. And you know what? 
I've, I, I, ha- I slept amazing the past three days. You know, I, I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's uh, attached to that. Yeah, but at the yeah. same time, the, 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 the better thing that I found is that, you know, my phone would ring at night sometimes. Oh, you know? yeah. I like to go to bed around 10 p.m. You know, I, I go to bed uh, decently, like very early, especially to people our age. So yeah. I like to shut my phone down at like 9.30 now. I put it on airplane mode pretty much. And dude, it's just, it's so much better to be in bed uh, watching TV um, with my blue light, obviously, glasses. Uh, it's so much better to be in bed watching TV without the phone dinging than yeah. with the phone dinging. And, and like me in my head, knowing that that phone is not going to ring, like it's just, it gives me a little peace. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about that. So beyond the, you know, lowering the temperature, um, some things, I, some things I recommend is before you go to bed, you know, implement those breathing strategies. It'll help you get in a relaxed state for breathing. It'll slow your breathing and slow your heart rate and just literally improve the quality of your sleep, wearing the blood blockers lowering the temperature, so on and so forth. Um, but then what you want to do is for EMF. Now, is electromagnetic. electromagnetic field, it's, a form of, it's like a radiation. And, and the truth is that these devices do give off you know, a certain amount of radiation. Your phone gives off radiation. Other Bluetooth devices, they have some, some form of EMF that is not very good for your physiology, but the research on it has been, in my opinion, I apologize if you hear dogs barking in the background. Oh, that's okay. Mine will start barking too. <laughs> oh, that's no problem. But the truth is that uh, EMF does have an effect on your physiology. It's just not very, uh, you know, a lot of people don't talk about it because it is like controversial. And, you know, with companies like Apple and all these big companies that are developing these devices, they don't really want you to know that it's unhealthy, right? So it's, it's even uncomfortable for, uncomfortable for me to talk about because it's so like looked down upon. People are like, what? You think these Bluetooth devices are affecting your physiology? And the truth is, yeah, they are. And even though it's not like super, such a popular opinion, I'd rather take a proactive and preventative approach, you know, like better safe than sorry, in my opinion. And what are you going to miss out on if you put your phone on airplane mode while you sleep? You know, and I actually just spoke, my last podcast, my last guest was a guy named Dr. Jay Wiles. He's, dude, he's a, badass guy he's and he and he's all about emf and he's all about he's actually the co-host i don't know if, if maybe some of your some of the people tuning in may know this guy uh, ben greenfield he's like a top top exercise physiologist um crazy author speaker so dr jay wiles the guy that i had on is is the co-host of his podcast he also owns uh, a center called thrive wellness and performance this guy's like certified and like you know, biometrics and HRV and measuring, you know, your physio, your physiology and, and work. He works with like Olympic medal athletes, all these people. Basically he told me that EMF, it does accumulate. And when you have all these devices, one of the things that it does is, is there's these positively charged ions that build up in your body and throughout evolution, um, human beings didn't have that kind of exposure to positively charged ions. We didn't have these devices. And in addition, we did what's called grounding is we walked everywhere like barefoot. We didn't have these shoes with insulated soles. Um, And that's important because the earth itself is negatively charged, right? And so now when we have these soles on our feet, we're basically insulated. We don't get earth's negative charge. And on top of that, we have all these positive charges from all these devices as well. Yeah. Yeah. So then, and then it's that, so we're, we're cut off from that negative charge. And then in addition, we get this positive charge from all these Bluetooth devices. And that may seem a little like woo woo, right? But again, I, I, science is there. Um, it's not very sexy, but it's there. 
And I want to be, I want to take a preventative approach. So absolutely. So, um, and then he was telling me actually that this can have like this change in charge can actually affect what are called your calcium channels, which are essentially how like all of your, all of the muscles in your body depend on these calcium channels to perform actions. And so it can change their activity. It can make them fire more or fire less. Yeah. It can, make you, it can make you feel, feel drained. You know, at times when I'm, uh, when I'm on my phone for way too much, like, yeah, no, totally. I get that drained feeling and I get yeah. that, like, I get that feeling in my eyes where fuck dude, I got to put my phone down for a bit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I know that I'm very sensitive, for example, to like my earpods, my Apple AirPods, yeah, that's yeah. AirPods and think about it. Like they're very cool. Everybody wants a pair of AirPods, but they're like sitting on your skin and they're like, you know, Bluetooth. like the, it's Bluetooth. Like it's, it's like so close to your brain. Like I, like really, do you, do you really want that? Why don't you just wear, I just run out my, my, my wired earphones and I feel way better. Um, but anyway, so one thing that you can do to, uh, you know, decrease your charge, be more negatively charged. And again, I know like this all sounds so woo woo, but I think it's very real. Um, you can do what's called grounding. So, you know, walk around barefoot, go walk on the grass, walk the beach, like walk around barefoot. Uh, I wear these shoes called earth runners that actually have a copper anode on the bottom and it goes all around your foot. And so it keeps you negatively charged while you're still wearing shoes. And there's other shoes that do this. Um, uh, obviously limit your EMF exposure, um, turn off Bluetooth devices, turn off Wi-Fi before you go to bed, put your phone on airplane mode. Those are all great strategy strategies. And think about it. Like your phone is, you know, if, if you're sleeping enough, which is about seven and a half, eight hours, um, that's a third of your life. So really a whole third of your life. And if you can limit your EMF exposure to a third of your life and you just have, you know, limited every night, just turn it off, put it on airplane mode. You know, it's, it's a very proactive approach in my opinion to, uh, to health and performance. So absolutely. So, yeah. absolutely. I want to get a little bit more into the grounding and, uh, you know, doing stuff barefoot because it, maybe they don't think about the science behind it, but I see it definitely getting more popular in gyms, people doing stuff barefoot, whether it be like squatting or, or whatever it may be. And, and I've actually implemented it into my program and into what I do. Um, when I do my balance stuff, I like to I notice you're always barefoot. Yeah. Right. Especially when I do balance, um, isometrics, because I find when you do balance isometrics and hold for a really long time, you work those little kind of twitch muscles in your foot and yeah. ankle that maybe you can't work as well with your shoes on. So like, for example, for me as a hockey player, I mean, we use our foot and ankle so much in our stride inside Absolutely. our that we don't even like realize um, all those little twitch muscles um, in the foot and ankle, how important those are um, yeah. for us as hockey players. And I think for pretty much every athlete, so for me, implementing this balance stuff um, with my foot, I've improved my balance, dude, by like quintuple, you know, like five, yeah. I'm five times better at balance. 100%. Um, and, you know, I give a lot of credit to being barefoot and, and, you know, not just that, but um, I, I do all my workouts barefoot because I do body weight workouts, right? I'm not lifting weights or anything and I'm, I'm on a mat. So I do, I do uh, body weight workouts barefoot and, you know, I've seen strength gain, flexibility gain, balance gain, mobility gain. I, I've gained in every area of the spectrum. You know yeah. what I mean? 
um, training in this new way. And that's something that I also want to get into uh, um, with this because we're kind of along the topic. And that's like the the hockey's traditional ways of training. It's insane um, that these haven't tri- haven't changed. But like ever since I was growing up, like that's how my summer my summer training was set up where in three phases where it's like you get back into it kind of, but then the first phase is you're lifting heavy. You're trying to up your, you're trying to up your maxes. You're trying to get stronger, you know, lifting heavy. And then the second phase would be kind of more reps, less weight, kind of muscle endurance. And then the last phase will be more kind of sprinting and, 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 and that kind of stuff. And I think now um, with all the information and in mo- modern, uh, in modern information that we have, like, people got to get away from that. Like people got to start to implement power, strength, balance in every workout because it's very possible. And, you know, I don't know what it is about hockey, but hockey is one of those sports that just doesn't evolve well. If that makes sense. Very traditional, yeah. Yeah, very traditional. For example, like in the NBA and in football, you see guys coming into the rink or coming into the field or court, sorry. And they're, they're, they're dripping, they're showing personality, you know, they're wearing whatever they want, flashy, you know, um, and, and, you know, that's... And they're all big on social media, sharing their approaches. Exactly, exactly. And you don't really think about that as in a connection, but it is in connection because hockey guys are still kind of, you know, you look at a hockey player versus a basketball player on Instagram, like hockey players are very inactive. And when they walk into the rink, you know, there's still that suit dress code um, that's been there forever. So um, for me, uh, it's just like the whole game as a whole needs to modernize. And one of the main things that it needs to start with is it's training because Absolutely. as training, there's so much science behind um, body weight training or even lightweight training where, you know, guys are really hurting themselves by trying to Absolutely. max uh, weight, you know, by trying to squat so much and hang clean so much. Like there's so many different new ways to uh, build this power. <laughs> In my opinion, muscle. it's just complete. All oh, that's completely unnecessary. Right, right. So, so can you get into just like, you know, lifting weights or, or, or can you get into just like yeah, the, I'll, I'll start with the, yeah, yeah, totally. I'll start with the, with the, um, barefoot, uh, right. conversation we were having. So what's cool about that is, you know, when you're wearing these shoes that like, uh, cause most athletic shoes, they don't give your toes, for example, enough room to spread out. Right. And on top of that, they provide this artificial arch that, you don't want like it's it's there maybe it'll help you run more efficiently and and whatnot but they've actually found that ever since people started wearing these like running and athletic shoes the rates of injury have gone up you know and and people mess themselves they mess up their posture they mess up their heels they put so much pressure on their knees and and it just completely messes you up maybe you can run faster sure and, and whatnot but but it really messes up your your body i think Ideally, an athlete should train barefoot and then train in exactly the shoes that they have to wear for their sport. So, for example, for hockey players, it should be barefoot to make the most of – because when you're barefoot, you make the most of every – like you said, the most of every little tiny muscle in your foot, and it's not supported artificially you know, by the shoe. Um, so you give your, your toes enough room to, to spread out. Um, um, you can better develop your balance that way. You can better develop an arc. Um, and I'll tell you, like, if you look at the, the, the anatomy, like human anatomy, the, the feet and hands are just so full of these tiny little bones, tiny little muscles and ligaments 
they're so like complex. Um, so to make the most of it, you want to be as natural as possible. And then obviously, you know, you want to train with the, the, the skates because you want to mimic that environment as much as possible. So making the most of it, but then also training with the right stuff as well. You know, when you spend so much time training in a gym with shoes that are completely different from the shoes that you're going to be wearing when you're skating, that's not very efficient. It all goes back to developing, like I said earlier, that, um, the right firing patterns and the right patterns, the, the right, literally the connection between your central nervous system, your brain and spinal cord and the rest of your muscles and performing very specific moving movement patterns and very specific plays and whatnot. You're literally programming yourself. Why would you dedicate hours and hours and hours and hours to learning how to do a clean or a squat or whatever it is? If you're playing hockey, the only people that should be dedicating that much time to squats and cleans and are Olympic lifters that are doing that exact movement. You want to mimic the environment, like I said, as much as possible. So you want to do that with visualization. You want to do that by being in the gym and practicing as, and mimicking the sport as closely as possible. So one thing that we were talking about earlier, um, you know, before we did the podcast, we were discussing some of these topics. We were, we were talking about how hockey is a sport where you know, you're at one point, you're just gliding on the ice. Another point, you're boom, like you're, 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 you're like, you know, ruffling around like, like it's, it can be very, it can, it can intensify very quickly. Like you have to, uh, it can be very, very chill and it's very intense. 45 seconds on the ice. And then you're sitting on the bench. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The, 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 the activity is very inconsistent in terms of its intensity and what you're actually doing. And so you need to train to mimic that. Right. So I think that for example, people that are coaching hockey players should tell them, right, do this movement. Now do this. Now do that. Like they they can't, it it, it has to be like unexpected. It has to be that element of surprise. Right. Right. So it's important to train, for example, explosiveness. It's going to be huge. It's important to train all different energy systems. So, you know, explosiveness, uh, so train your power, train your strength, do isometric holds, do all, all of it. You have to focus on the eccentrics and the concentrics, which we'll get into but you have to do everything, all of it. And obviously the best way to practice hockey is playing hockey, but you can't always play hockey. And when you can't always play hockey, visualize. And when you're in the gym, mimic these movements. I think that body weight training is a great way to do it because with body weight training, you're using muscles in a way that makes sense to your body. Think about how often you're going to be performing something like a clean or something similar to a clean when you're playing hockey. Never. Never. Why would you waste your time doing that? Sure, it'll make you stronger and better at doing cleans. That's all it's accomplishing, period. Maybe certain muscles are going to be better and stronger, but not for hockey, not for specific movements that you're going to be doing, period. That's the end of story. From a neuromuscular and exercise physiology, physiological, it's, it's just, it doesn't make sense, period. I love to hear this. I'm thinking of one of my friends right now that I'm going to make him listen to this podcast. <laughs> a hang clean monster and a squatting monster. He- and I'll People give can to- argue with me all that they want. It just doesn't make sense. Right. And that's why, you know, I'm trying to, and, and you know, the program that we're going to be working on and we're working on together and, uh, you know, I've kind of already kind of started it a little bit and done some, some test runs is, is, is all body weight. And, and the reason why I realized like, holy fuck, like this is good is because I've started doing these workouts myself and they were hard for me. 
And they were hard for me, not in the sense that I felt after the gym, but they were hard for me in the sense that I felt after I got off the ice. Because when you, when you practice, this is always how I, how I basically sell it, right? When you practice hockey, are you, are you gassed after? Are you exhausted? Are your muscles exhausted? Yes. Do you have any weight on your back when you do that? No. So why do you think that you That's exactly exactly exhaust those hockey muscles or get those hockey muscles better? What you should do is hold a squat, isometric hold, because when you're playing hockey, you're trying you're to be constantly, low. Yeah, you're constantly in that position. Exactly. Then you go from isometric to explosive because in hockey, you're not only low, but you're also using explosiveness, right? So you exactly. go to explosive. And then from there, eccentric, or, you know, you mix those patterns up because, and, and for those who don't know eccentric and concentric, it's, it's, slow. I can, I can, I can do a quick review on concentric. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Give us so, a quick, quick review. so a concentric exercise is when the moving muscle shortens while developing tension. So for example, curling a dumbbell up, standing up in a squat, pulling up on a pull up, et cetera, et cetera. Eccentric is when you're the moving muscle lengthens while developing tension. So resisting the dumbbell on the way down slowly squatting down or lowering yourself from a pull-up bar in an eccentric contraction there's less muscle fiber recruited for comparable workloads and by recruiting less to move an equal amount of weight the fibers are more damaged leading to more inflammation and generating more growth so essentially you can accomplish more if more and more efficiently by focusing on the eccentric in terms of strength and hypertrophy Right. So the concentric portion is still very important. So the positive portion, the, the curling up, the pulling up, etc. It's important because it gauges how much muscle fiber is recruited. However, if you're attempting to maximize muscle growth, muscle development, more attention should be paid to the eccentric portion since it has a higher capacity to stimulate hypertrophy. For example, for example, one of my favorite ever exercises is when you squat jump. And you, you catch yourself landing and you go slow. slow Absolutely, slow, dude. Slow. I, I'll tell you right now, if you are an athlete, unless you are a bodybuilder or someone just trying to put on straight strength and muscle, which is not what a meathead. a meathead, unless you're a meathead, that is like the perfect thing for a hockey player to do something like that. Focusing on the eccentric, focusing on the isometrics. And again, getting those firing patterns, because that's what you're, that's the programming your brain and your body needs. For hockey period end of story that's it and something else if you know just to get a little more scientific just to kind of so people can i think something i like to add i want to add just to make this add some flavor add well, some i'm going to add some flavor to it so the eccentric contractions with the eccentric contractions there's greater tension slash cross-sectional area of active muscle than concentric contractions high tensile forces during eccentric contractions cause greater disruption of muscle cell membranes and structural proteins. So the longer your muscles under tension, the more it's bound to grow. Yes, exactly. And then when there's lower oxygen consumption and greater use of parallel and series elastic components, this enhances energy return, increases muscle efficiency and decreases potential for fatigue. So you'll be less fatigued because you think about it, you're kind of going with gravity as well. There's less potential for fatigue, for fatigue, but you're still Put, like you're still contracting these muscles. They're still under tension, right? Uh, right? So there's actually more heat produced during eccentric contractions, which translates to more damage, more structural and more damage to structural and functional components, 
there's more inflammation, that, but beneficial inflammation for the muscle. And then this greater breakdown and more inflammation results in better growth of the muscle, better yeah. uh, adaptation. And here's the so thing, the, was, tension, the tension that you get, it's the same exact tension that you get on the ice. Because, exactly. Because, you know, like, especially like if you're doing this, like towards the end of my workouts, when I'm doing explosive eccentric, like I legit get the burn that I get after a really long shift on the ice, yeah. you know, which is something that I never really got to feel when I was lifting weights because you're, you lift a uh, heavy six reps and then you take a break. But like in hockey, uh, you're out there for 45 seconds. So six reps ain't enough. You can't yeah. do and then take a break because that took you 10 seconds or 15 seconds yeah. whereas in reality you're more you're better off even just doing high knees for 45 seconds like yeah. kind of and then staying in a squad or something yeah i was I'm, I'm glad you brought that up i was actually trying to explain this concept the other day in a video that i was making and this is kind of how i i simplified it um so think about it this way if you're lifting very very heavy weight like let's say you're you're squatting three plates right and you can only do like four reps, right? Let's say you do it for four reps and until you get to that fifth rep is a huge jump, right? You basically round it down, round it down to the nearest whole number of reps. You can't do like four and a half. You can only do four, right? But think about this. If you squat a lot less, so let's say you do, uh, let's say you take the number, for example, let's say you take the number 40. How many times can the number 40 go into hundred completely two times, right? 2.5 times 40 is hundred. Right. So let's say that 40 represents that heavy weight. You can only do it twice in a hundred, but now let's say you take the number 20, the number 20 goes into hundred perfectly five times. So when you do lighter weight, you can reps. actually push yourself exactly to like more close, more closely to your max. Right. And this is important for hockey. Now I'm, I'm taking a very, very complicated, like, you know, physiological concept. I'm trying to simplify it as much as possible. So, um, but Basically, with hockey, you're holding these contractions for a long period of time. You're doing these isometric holds. You're building metabolites. So that burn that you get is actually hydrogen ions that build up. And then what happens is that there's something called lactate, which goes in to try to clear out those hydrogen ions and uh, tries to stabilize that reaction. Because the more acidity you have, the more hydrogen ions that you have, the more burn you feel. And it literally inhibits your muscle from performing that contraction. And that's not something that you will achieve when you do very, very heavy squats, very, very heavy weight. So it doesn't make sense because what happens with that kind of training, when you do isometric holds, when you do lighter weight, so like body weight training, you can do, you can more closely push yourself to that max and you build these metabolites like ion, like the hydrogen ions, your body with that kind of training gets better at delivering lactate and at taking out those metabolites and at basically helping you deal with that burn. And it helps you extend uh, those maxes. It helps you build up on those maxes. And what's really cool is that the more lactate that you produce when you do these kind of exercises, the more lactate you produce, the, the more testosterone you release, the more growth hormone you release. So it's, it's just, bro, it's a beautiful thing. You know, it's, no, and, and you know, what's crazy Andres, is that um, I've had this one problem and I still have it my whole hockey career, which is I stand up too straight when I'm on the ice. And when you stand up too straight, it cuts down your stride. So like the lower you are, the longer you can. And your balance up. as well. Yeah, the, the, the lower you are, the longer you can extend your leg, you're more, you're more grounded, you know, you're heavier, all yeah. that stuff. So it's just a thing in hockey that like, you know, you want to be, you want to be low because it's just going to benefit you a hundred percent. It's a fact, right? right? So um, one of my problems my whole life is that I stand too straight 
and I've tried it, dude. And I've, I've worked with guys on the ice where, you know, I try to go low. It just feels uncomfortable. Yeah. And off the ice, what was I doing? I was squatting. Um, I was getting low on my squats. But when you squat, you go down and you come back up. You go down, you come back up. Yeah. In hockey, what I'm trying to do is stay low. Exactly. It, it doesn't make sense. It just so doesn't now, make sense. So now I've realized like, holy fuck, man, I'm actually finally learning how to get low now because you know what I'm doing? I'm literally getting low and I'm doing that movement like with my yeah. feet. And yeah. I've, I've seen, I, I haven't skated yet. Um, I'm, I, I just got cleared actually from my injury. So I'll be, I'll be skating soon, but I haven't skated yet, but I can just, feel in my head the confidence that i have like dude i'm gonna be lower when i get out there yeah. because i can stay in that low position for a minute and stride out off the ice yeah i'll tell you i'll just give you one example of something that just makes more sense from a physiological and anatomical perspective right off the bat bro instead of squats bro wall sits sit against the wall and hold that contraction that isometric hold and that's gonna prepare you better for hockey than hey, any how about this for hockey players sport. Because we're always switching legs. You wall sit, lift. I was up. just going to say, like, 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 put it down. Yeah, yeah. Do a wall sit, lift your legs here and there. And then while you're doing that, visualize yourself on the ice. Boom. Oh, you, just, yes. you just killed three birds with one stone, bro. Awesome. <laughs> Fucking awesome. Okay. And um, let's see dynamic warm ups and stretching because um, one Perfect. of the biggest things in hockey, uh, when, when I get into the room, I like to always be there early. I'm obviously the guy on the ox because I got the best music on the team. <laughs> and, uh, you know, usually when you're there too early, the dynamic warm-up for most teams is done as a team. So it's set time by the captain. You know, it's not up to you when the dynamic warm-up starts. So when yeah. you're a guy that likes to get there early, what do you do um, before the dynamic warm-up? So right. most guys just sit down in the middle of the room and stretch. And that right. is terrible, right. um, as you've taught me. So can we yeah. get into that? Oh, absolutely. So. Here's a, th a dynamic warm-up is basically a movement-based stretch, right? So, and it's the, it's the best stretching that you can do and the best thing you can do before you approach the kind of exercise or activity. When you stretch, so I'll start with this. Stretching is literally telling a muscle to relax. And there's actually something called reciprocal inhibition. Just to give you an example, there's something called reciprocal inhibition, which is like if I take my bicep and I, and I flex and I contract my bicep, with reciprocal inhibition, the opposite or the opposing muscle, which is my tricep, is forced to relax. When you flex your bicep, you're forcing your tricep to relax. And that's what almost every muscle in your body has an opposing muscle group. And with reciprocal inhibition, when you contract one, you relax the other. If you start off your hockey, if you start off, in the, let's say, before the game, like and when you're just, cold. when you're cold, and, you, and, and, as, and being cold, you start stretching when your muscle isn't, you know, you have to be warm. To, 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 it's like a, it's like a rubber, rubber band when you heat up a rubber band it stretches better it's more compliant if you just start literally stretching when you're completely cold it's going to increase your risk of injury and it's an entire muscle hey it's time to relax like we don't need to be contract it's time to relax right now wow. so they've actually done studies tons of studies where they where they measure performance and and actually risk of injury when people like straight up stretch before an exercise and when they don't, when they stretch after exercise, it doesn't make sense to stretch before because number one is it's gonna inhibit your muscles and it's an, it will decrease your strength. Stretching too much will decrease your strength. You can fact check me, it's, it's true. I believe you. It's just not a popular opinion. Uh, not a popular, you know, not a lot of people know that. Um, 
And in addition, it increases your risk of, your risk of injury because your muscles are cold. Dynamic warm-ups, the best way to do them is you want to mimic the movement that you're going to be doing when you, uh, uh, you know, perform your activity. So I'll give you an example. A perfect dynamic warm-up for a leg day, for me, for example, is I'll do uh, lunges, right? So I'll do deep lunges and I'll, and I'll, and I'll, I'll get a movement based stretch, you know, cause with the lunge, you can stretch your legs out enough where it's a nice stretch. Oh yeah. Your hip it's, flexor. It's specific to what I'm going to do later on. So it's specific to legs. Um, and it's giving me enough of a stretch, but not to the point where I'm, uh, you know, relaxing my muscle or increasing my risk of injury, but just enough to prepare the right motor unit firing patterns that I need to then do my leg day. So right. a dynamic warm up, you're kind of, uh, you're kind of getting that stretch in while waking the muscles up instead of getting the yeah, stretch. Yeah, you're, you're basically telling your muscle, like, this is what we're, we're going to need you to do in a little bit. Um, and I'm just getting you warm, and I'm just f- getting the right motor units firing. From my brain all the way to the muscle, I'm getting the right things going for this activity. That's exactly what you're doing. And stretching before is not a good idea. The best time to really stretch is yeah. going to be after. Yeah, once your muscles are warm, once they have enough blood flow, uh, all of that is going to make it so that you can literally relax the muscle and get the most out of the stretching without increasing your risk of injury or decreasing your strength. So you want awesome the dynamic stuff. warm-up to be specific. Yeah. Awesome stuff, man. I know I'm taking so much from this right now. <laughs> I can't even imagine everybody else because I actually, I actually um, not study this, but I actually research this stuff. Like I love this stuff now, you know, yeah. like I'm always looking for ways to improve now and uh, you know, try to, kind of get better um with little things and these yeah. are these are a lot of little things that 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 will add up i mean we're hearing from a from a science guy you know so uh, so, so i'll tell you what's really crazy is like the more i talk about this like i mean i'm sure you can tell it it fascinates just even me i've seen this over and over and over again i've studied it i've worked with athletes and it still fascinates me every time i talk about it because and you've researched it's it too but telling you about it you as an athlete it's like it's so exciting for me um, and when I work, so now this is me talking obviously broadly about hockey, the sport of hockey. Yeah. But when I work with people that are like, like I've worked with athletes that are, that, that do, that, that, that have a specific role in a specific team for a specific sport. And so it can get even more specific. Like you can take this and be players should have their own. Yeah. Their you, own. I've, uh, I've, I've played the role of being a physiologist for a player, not even for a team, for a player. So think about that, how specific these things can get. This is obviously a lot of information and it's, and it's still specific to hockey, but it can get even more specific, which is, it just blows my mind. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And, and, and one topic that I just, I really want to get into right now is eating because eating is something that, uh, you know, I mean, a lot of people that know me know that I've tried the, the, the keto diet. I did the keto diet for a while and I loved it. I actually, so what, just, what got you into uh, that? So the keto diet, I actually got into it because my chiropractor, Dr. Harley Boffshever, he, uh, he was very out of shape and he used to be a bodybuilder. And then he got into the ketogenic diet and was working out two times a week for 30 minutes. And he got shredded. Like when I mean shredded, like this guy's 50 something and he's shredded and he's been doing the keto for a year and a half. And, uh, I got into it last summer for three months and the results were insane. My body fought fat dropped a shit ton and I was shredded. Right. And uh, I felt great too. Then when the season came along, I started to mix in the carbs again and, and whatnot. And now, 
that the off season start when the off season started when this whole pandemic started um i got back into the keto because i was out of shape due to injury and stuff um and and you know it helped me really get back into shape but um more than keto i want to talk about this uh just a low carb high protein diet you know yeah. rather than, than than the extreme of the ketogenic diet yeah. i think uh, a high a high protein low carb um, people don't realize that like carbs are out, man. Carbs are out. Like carbs are not in. Carbs are out. So um, other except for healthy carbs, which we'll get into. But um, yeah. can you just get into like carb supplementation, like glycogen, like what what guys uh, should what athletes should be eating? Right, right, right. So so I can definitely get into that. First, I wanna I wanna go ahead and quickly just I wanna I wanna uh, talk about the keto diet for just a second. Because I think that it's I think that it's great that you did this while you were on sort of like a training break. I think it's ideal, and I'll tell you why. Because so our central nervous system and our bodies, the most efficient fuel source for the body is carbohydrate. Period. It's like the most it's the most efficient, right? You at any given moment, we're running off of a few energy systems. We're we're taking we're actually using it, and it depends which one you use. Primarily depends on the intensity of activity that you're doing. But at any given moment, you and I right now are, are running on of some amount of creatine phosphate, which is like creatine, uh, running off of some amount of uh, glucose, carbohydrate, running off of some amount of protein and some amount of fat. Those four, at any given moment, we're running off of those four. But the most, with the highest intensity stuff, you know, creatine phosphate, then uh, high intensity, medium intensity, mostly glucose, lower intensity, fat, and then protein is always to some degree, right? When you're on a ketogenic diet and you're consuming more fat and you're low carb, you're teaching your body how to more efficiently use fat as a fuel source. And the reason that that's beneficial for a training break is because when you're very glucose adapted um, and then you're not doing activity like you were, it's very easy for your body to, in order to, to maintain itself, it can break down muscle tissue and convert it to glucose as a fuel source. And you can essentially lose muscle right? That's the simplest way to put it is if you're taking, if you're taking a long training break, you're not training like you used to, you can lose muscle. When you're on a ketogenic diet and you can more efficiently use fat, there's actually changes that occur in cell membranes. There's changes that occur in your gut microbiome and you teach your body how to use fat more efficiently. When you're not training like before, you can spare muscle as a fuel source and you can more efficiently use fat. So it can help you get shredded. Uh, but that obviously has to, you know, be combined with, you have to be at a caloric deficit. You have to be at a net negative energy balance, burning more calories than you're consuming so that you can then lose fat. So it's a great way to isolate fat loss and maintain lean muscle mass, which is so, so would you say like for guys, uh, I mean, when, when I, from everything that you just said, what I took is guys that finish the season um, a bit a bit heavy. I know a lot of guys, there's, there's two different types of guys. Some guys go into the season, um, at like 200 and finish the season at like 180, you know, because mm -hmm. of all the games and how much they play and everything. And I also know guys that start the season at like 180 and finish at like 190 because of all the exercise they're eating way more, you yeah, know, so it really didn't depend because two different, there's two different types of guys. And I think from what I took from what you said is the guys that finish, a bit overweight, they should definitely try the keto diet for the first two, three weeks yeah. off the season while they're taking a break. What they should do, yeah, so they should do, it doesn't have to be keto, it can be keto, it should be a low carb diet in my opinion, and, it, and they could also implement intermittent fasting. 
the combination yes. of the two would be pretty ideal because uh, now fasting, I just want to preface this by saying that fasting is not a, uh, a joke. It's very real. In fact, the New England Journal of Medicine, the top medical journal in the world, just did a whole review on fasting December 2019 on, on its effects on health, disease prevention, longevity. Uh, there's studies on fasting done on athletes. Uh, my whole, I have actually, I only have one video on YouTube. Um, it's actually called how to maintain muscle mass during a prolonged training break. I recommend every person tuning into this, watch that video, not for my own personal, but I don't, I don't get paid for it. I think that it's going to be extremely beneficial for athletes and anyone that's trying to make the most, uh, or trying to maintain as much muscle as possible while they're taking a training. I did it, you know, for COVID, but it's applicable for any kind of training break. Right. Um, and the second half of that video actually goes into fasting. And I review all the studies, all the research. I make it easy to understand and practical to apply. And the reason why I recommend implementing a fasting protocol and a low-carb protocol is because, again, you're teaching your body to more efficiently run off of fat as a fuel source. And that means that you spare muscle. You tell your muscle, hey, I don't really need you for, for energy because muscle is, can be turn into sugar and used as a fuel source very easily and you bye-bye your muscle's gone but with intermittent fasting um and with low-carb diet you can teach your body to run off the fat more efficiently and for those wait sorry real quick i just want to interrupt you sorry about that um for those tuning in that are thinking like fasting dude like i'm not gonna fast like i do intermittent fasting and this is something that's helped me a ton um especially with the late night snacking but i do intermittent fasting 10 a.m to 8 p.m and 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. window means like I, I eat from 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. So most of my fasting window, I'm literally sleeping. Like if I'm in bed by 10. Yeah, no, it's, it's you're going to be sleeping for most of it. And I wake up at 8 a.m. I got two hours. I'm drinking ice water. I can drink black coffee to keep my fast. So literally like most of the time you're sleeping and, and the benefits are, are, are scientifically backed. Yeah. So this is what I will say is that this is probably going to be best while you're in the off season, like as like when you're in the season and when you're, you know, in it and, 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 and training way more and, and, and you have the games and whatnot and, and the competition, maybe not the best idea, but when you're taking any kind of break, I think it's a great protocol. I would recommend doing 14 to 16 hours of fasting that includes sleep. So for example, eating between uh, 12 PM and 8 PM, you know, it's eight hours of, it's an eight hour feeding window, 16 hour, uh, uh, fasted window, fasting window. And what happens essentially is after 10 to 14 hours without food, you deplete what's called liver glycogen. So in your liver, there's this stored carbohydrate source. Um, and after 10 to 14 hours without eating, you deplete it. And then your body goes, Hey, let's start breaking down some of our stored body fat and using it as a fuel source. And that fuel source is, is ketones. That's it, your body uses it as a secondary fuel source. You know how I said before that the most efficient source is, is glucose. Now you're running off ketones. And that's called, in science, it's called intermittent metabolic switching. When you switch from glucose as a primary fuel source to ketones as a primary fuel source, that switch is um, very beneficial for your physiology because it's very, it's, it's something that throughout the, you know, all of human evolution was a thing, right? We, we were, we were hunter gatherers and, we had to go out and look for food for hours out of the day. And we finally had a meal. And so we would constantly switch between those metabolites. And I don't want to go too far into the intermittent fasting, but basically it helps you improve things like metabolic flexibility. You can more efficiently use fat when you need to use fat. 
more efficiently use carbs. We need to use carbs. And then all of this, that, that switching between metabolites, elicits all kinds of benefits everywhere from, you know, disease prevention and stress management, all the way to literally increasing what's called CREB uh, and BDNF, which are, you know, it's it, these molecules essentially that are expressing your brain and can improve neuroplasticity and synaptogenesis and neurogenesis and focus sharpening and focus like it's very beneficial for you and it's not magic it's just intermittent fasting is a lifestyle it's very consistent with evolution that's why it works so well and it can be beneficial for you when you're taking a training break not the best thing if you're you know uh, and in in the season all right all right so so here now what i want to get into is like more uh well, we've been, we've been athlete specific, but I want to get into the pregame meals and the postgame meals. So now, um, yeah. just so you can be familiar with a typical hockey pregame meal, it's, it's pretty much pasta, alfredo sauce, and chicken. And uh, <laughs> if you don't agree with me and you're a hockey player listening, at me, okay? And uh, <laughs> so basically pasta and chicken, I think it's pretty much like, you know, the go-to when I was playing in the QMJHL um our meals we would all eat together at the restaurant we were on the road it was always like we wouldn't order the meals the coaches had that ordered it was literally the same pasta for every single guy right and we eat around four three hours and a half to four hours before the game um and we eat all those carbs now also i want to talk about post game because post game is probably the most um dangerous thing i'd say when it comes to hockey because even at the highest levels that i've played at there's always been like pizza post game pretty much every time like like yeah. pizza very big post game thing you know i don't know um you know can you like get into this stuff like yeah um, so what i will say is this is that you know sports nutrition is a huge of all the topics we've, we've discussed is definitely the biggest one and so i think that we should leave the bulk of this for another another show another podcast absolutely absolutely let's let's do that but i can quickly do a, a bit of a review um you want to match your carbohydrate intake to your activity level. That's one major theme is like the more active you are, the more carbohydrate you want to consume. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Let me, let me interrupt you real quick. Yeah. So this kind of goes to um, what kind of player are you on? Like there's first liners that play 20 minutes a night. There's fourth liners that play five minutes a night. So that's, that's what I'm, I was actually going to get into that. Like, like the nutrition isn't just specific to the sport, but specific to the player. And the sports nutrition, dude, I can, we can go so far in depth and get so specific. Um, yeah, broaden it up. We'll, we'll do this, though. We'll do this. Yeah, I'll, I'll make it very, very broad. Carbohydrate intake will vary per player. Protein intake will vary per player. Uh, how processed or the glycemic index, the glycemic variability of carbohydrate will be different per player and, and for timing as well. Like how much time you have before a game, that'll – given how much time you have – you can choose different kinds of carbohydrate depending on their glycemic variability or how quickly they're absorbed or, or the effect they have on your blood sugar. Uh, again, that depends on the activity. So there's so many things you have to look at. And I really like, you know that I'm very passionate about this and like, I'll go, I'll go at it. I honestly want to leave this for another show because yeah, else, if I, if you get me started, I won't be able to stop and I don't have time right now. Okay, no, no, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But one more thing I wanted to ask, actually, before we close this off, is I see you drinking a glass of wine almost every night. Um, yeah. You say that's healthy. So um, how many glasses of wine until it gets unhealthy? <laughs> so for men, it should be no more than two glasses. Uh, for women, it should be no more than one glass. And by one glass, I mean like one, like not like a full glass, like, like a standard yeah. serving of wine. 
Um, wine is awesome because you know, everyone, you know, I'm sure athletes want to limit their alcohol intake and whatnot, but a little bit of alcohol, just a moderate amount, like up to two glasses a night can actually benefit some of the enzymes in your liver that are involved in detoxification processes and, and whatnot. It can actually be beneficial. And also being able to moderate that intake just from a, from a psychological perspective, having that kind of moderation with yourself is also very beneficial for other aspects of your life. Um, but what's cool about, about red wine is that it's super rich in two awesome things, two really, really healthy things. It's very rich in polyphenols, which are antioxidants, which can help you with recovery and just health in general. And then also in resveratrol, which is a molecule that slows aging at the cellular level. It slows what's called the length, the, the shortening of, of telomeres, which is how, how your cells age, like how you age at the cellular level, it slows that process. So it's very beneficial for longevity. And it's actually so beneficial that if you, there's been studies done on what are called the blue zones of the world, which are areas of the world that have very high concentrations of individuals living beyond hundred years old. And they find that most of these blue zones are actually in places like Italy and France and other areas where, where red wine consumption happens to be very high. And so, you know, you can argue, Oh, but correlation isn't causation. That's something that we say in science is like, just because they're correlated. doesn't mean that one causes the other, but they've actually done the research and looked at the, at, at the science of it and, and studied resveratrol. And they find that literally red wine is, is one of the reasons why these people are living longer and why they're aging more slowly and why they why they feel better. But the best way to drink red wine is not just the red wine itself, but also the social aspect. Like these people drink red wine in the middle of the day and at night. But when they do that, they're always around other people. And when they're eating foods, it's usually whole, natural, healthy food with other people. So the social aspect is huge, not just the quality of the food or the ingredients. So that's so, yeah. awesome. That's stuff. bro. We can save the nutrition stuff. Like I also want to leave a bit of a cliffhanger for the people tuning in. I yeah, think it's definitely. a great topic for the next show. Definitely. Definitely. So Andres, that's man, this was a huge pod. <laughs> I've learned a shit ton from it. I'm going to be visualizing tonight while I'm drinking my wine, while my phone's on airplane mode. I'm fired <laughs> up. dude. Literally. I learned so much from this podcast and I know everyone tuning in um, will as well. So thanks so much, bro. And I'll definitely have you on again. Bro. We'll such a pleasure, man. Seriously. This is awesome. Such a I know some niggas wanna see me gone. Just made 20 mil, I'm trying to fucking enjoy. Before you kick my door down and shoot, that's my little boy. Yeah. Keep a two, new screws, baby. Do true, we a woo. I'm a woo, baby. Yeah. Aim at his head. Do that for me, and only case and go to bed. Slash, slash. Yeah, yeah. Don't let me throw it to my head. I want to party in Cartier, yeah. Walk in the club with two straps when I want to go back. Don't wait till I am. Shoot that in my Dior. Mm, I got me paranoid. Gripping the F and you know they streets of war. They think the one they make sure you lock the door. They hate and love like then you gotta watch your dog. I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. Just put me over, cause I'm in a Rari. I talk about with little mama riding shoddy. Man, who gon' shake the room, I catch your body. 
When niggas be loving party like every day. How about that bitch at Marzi? We to the grave. Baby boy in Taraji. I took some Molly. Flow like an Ali. Tryna stay sane. Paranoid, paranoid, paranoid. 